Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. A feeling tone that is uh, unpleasant but uh, uh, liberating. What could that be? Well, having done something uh, uh, harmful, maybe, in some way, you know, when we recognize this, and this happens sometimes on retreat because of what's happening on retreat, certainly happened to me today, um, but it could be also on retreat, sometimes we have a kind of a life review thing, you know, we review life, and because we're more quiet, more steady, you know, we're more balanced, we have more steadiness, we can actually revisit things of the past sometimes and be able to take responsibility, which we couldn't before. Our mind was too agitated, to it couldn't. But now we could come back and say, Oh my God, I did this. That was not helpful. It doesn't feel good. Huh? It's not like uh, we, could, we didn't say uplifting. Huh? It doesn't feel good, but it's also doesn't, it's not entangling, it's liberating. Of course, if I fall into uh, guilt and, uh, yeah, guilt, let's call it like this, like make us a self out of a bad person, you know, mm -hmm. then it's going to be painful, unpleasant, and entangling. But if I'm able to hold this very delicately, the way you were holding the flowers today, which was beautiful, or the encounter with the deer, and I hold something of the past that was unpleasant or um, where maybe I harmed somebody and I can really take uh, ownership in a way. I said these things, this was not helpful. Then maybe uh, it can be unpleasant, like a little heat, a little kind of a, something hollow or I don't know, charge, or I don't know how it would uh, be experienced in you, trembling, unpleasant, and liberating. So then I can, uh, you know, uh, take responsibility and say, hey, if the situation is right, that was not okay. Do you follow me here? And just an example of a feeling tone that would be um, neutral uh, and entangling would be uh, one, as uh, Jill was describing today, where uh, it seems like there's not much happening, maybe because of superficial attention, maybe because the objects are somewhat bland or appearing so. And so there's a, there's a neutrality to them, and I get bored, I get agitated. You know, I'm like, oh, there's nothing happening. Why am I here? I could be somewhere else, feel, feeling something else, doing something else. So that kind of neutrality uh, is entangling. It leads to stress. Yeah? And there's a kind of um, neutrality. I'll give two examples of neutrality that are liberating. And so the same kind of not much happening met 
with uh, a mind that is quiet and connective, resonant, stable, could allow not much to be happening. And this could be actually liberating. Instead of leading to doubt or agitation, it could just be a, maybe what we could call an experience of uh, peace, you know, just peaceful. There's another example I want to give of a neutral feeling tone that is liberating, always in the hope that this is going to be helpful for us on the path. But I hadn't planned that tonight. So there might be, um, the neutrality might, sometimes it's describing as uh, the neutrality being being, um, generated, we could say, by the mind, by the heart. And so we might be in an intense situation, but the mind has such stability to it that it brings a neutrality that we call equanimity. It's not that the things become bland, they might be intense, charged, but the neutrality uh, is uh, provided uh, by the mind. And so sometimes uh, med- meditators, retreatants, us, we describe this like this. We'll say, oh, there was, a, and I've heard this this week, you know, I can't remember what form it took exactly, but I've, I've heard it a few times where a situation was less than perfect, you know, pain in the neck or in the knee or some inner conditions or outer conditions. And the mind is so stable that you can, almost cannot say anymore that it's painful. You say, wow, it was very intense in the knee. But it was just like that. Like you neither pleasant nor unpleasant. It's not because it's bland, it's because the mind meets what is there exactly as it is. Wow. As in yesterday evening, for me that practice, uh, I don't know how it resonated for you, but that practice of, if I think of, uh, let's say I have a uh, difficult relationship with somebody, and I can't actually control the... You know, it's not resolving, it's not, uh, it's painful relationship. Sometimes I can have a mind that is so quiet and accepting that I can say, wow, it's hard for us right now to be in relationship. We don't understand each other. And the feeling tone that might emerge has some neutrality to it. It's, you, can you follow this a bit? It's very liberating. Uh, so in this case, a difficult uh, situation where the mind can bring some neutrality uh, in the field, which I think would be really helpful to start considering the experience of the other, to review my position, think creatively, you know. And so as we're practicing, maybe it might be the frame of reference you'll put on, you know, the glasses you'll put on as you practice. Oh, this actually feels pleasant and liberating. Oh, this feels pleasant, but entangling and 
So that's the discernment here too. Okay, let me see. Or, oh, this feels unpleasant and entangling the way I'm in relationship with it. Or, this feels unpleasant, but I think it's, it's okay. I think it's onward leading that I allow the system to feel this unpleasantness. I hope it's not too vague or kind of wordy or concept, conceptual. To me, it's very, um, it's very, it's very applicable. I, I want to have that, uh, that kind of uh, interest for uh, how things are met. Maybe it does tie in a little bit. I'll try to tie it in with what I had in mind <laughs> to talk some about. So as we uh, do this amazing work that we've been uh, doing here and are doing still for a couple of days, um, check if you agree with the description of what's happening. There's so many ways to describe practice, and practice takes many forms, but that's certainly one possible description here. I have an emotion. So just allowing that wave-like nature to um, do its thing in this system. Um, So as we do this practice, Often how it unfolds for me and for uh, other ret- uh, retreatants is uh, we start to tune in uh, to what's really happening. So we go from ideas about what should be, could be happening, and we start to really feel things. And things start to stand out in a specific way. Like suddenly, it's not daffodils. Huh? Oh yeah, daffodils. You know, I learned that when I was seven. Somebody told me daffodils. So now when I see daffodils, it's like, daffodils, done. <laughs> you know, here we've been working in a way that suddenly it's, it's this flower. You know, it's very specific. It's that moment. It's not just the meal, mealtime. At the beginning it's like this, oh yeah, it's mealtime now. It's kind of a generic mealtime, you know. But the more we quiet down, the more we pay attention, suddenly it's this Mealtime, this hour, this light, this place in the line, in the queue or whatever. You know, this particular tonality of the impatience or kindness or whatever is there becomes very specific. This taste of, uh, when did I hear this, this, this taste of this broccoli, <laughs> to take a recent example. And so, and just that movement to come to events in a specific way. You know, I'm like this. No. How am I right now? Oh, like this. Specifically like this. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a different example. Yeah, mind st- a lot of uh, around the mind states... You know, that particular quietness, not just quietness, but that particular taste of that quietness now that has sweetness in it, or softness in it, 
or spaceness in it. So we get uh, slowly, we get more and more impressed. Would you agree with this? And I hear this in oh, I was looking at the landscape, and uh, the mind opens uh, and really takes in. So it's not under occupation as it was when we came here, preoccupied. You know, it's available. Things can come in. Um, and so we're touched. And so that's really, uh, I think just this, to me, is very n- uh, nourishing. Like, oh, I can live like this, a little closer to reality, rather than my ideas. And it seems like the life, life is more vibrant than when I'm living in ideas. You know, it's more resonant, more... Uh, and as we continue paying attention, staying there, what starts to appear was really well described uh, just earlier. Uh, the ephemeral nature of experiences, all experience, uh, reveals itself. And so we say, we'll say something like, oh, impermanence to me was like just a word, you know, I kind of knew what it meant and this, but today it made sense men sense why it's maybe there at the center of the teachings because it's very poignant is that the word that things are there and then they're not there to me that's one of the things I'm still very intrigued by that when something exists it so exists and then at some point it doesn't exist anymore I'm, I'm still not getting over that I don't know, it's almost appear magical or certainly very mysterious. How can somebody exist and not exist suddenly? And so in this practice here, I'm coming, uh, becoming intimate with that because I see the, I start to see the flickering nature of things. You know, how the next meal is in my mind and suddenly it's not in my mind anymore. And pretty much everything like this. You know, there's, I'm looking at a pond, and it's just a pond, and it exists as a beingless pond, and suddenly there's a frog in the middle of the pond. It was there, I just hadn't noticed it. And so suddenly I'm in another reality. Nothing moved, but I'm in a new reality. Now there's a being there. So I'm not just talking about the ephemerality. Um, There's a a word, the right word for this, like as the nature of things object, but the ephemerality also in perceptions, how I see things. You know, the time is so interesting. Like I would be sitting here thinking, when is the bell going to ring? Ring the bell, ring the bell. And for some reason, at some point, something switches a slightly, almost not, in the mind, and suddenly I'm outside of time. It's not on a timeline, when is the bell going to ring? It's just now. Like, it, time doesn't even appear in my mind. It's timeless. It's just breathing. And then, poops, little switch in the mind, and time exists again. Is it ringing now? You know, and so time 
is flickering like this. Sometimes it appears as long, the never-ending retreat. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, oh my God, there's just just another full day tomorrow, you know. Suddenly it's short, you know. And so here by slowing down and paying attention, we see the flickering nature. The other appear as a friend and suddenly as an enemy. Whoops, flicks, flips back as a friend. And this is the world we live in. If we slow down, we'll notice it. It's, it's like this. You know, I sit here to give a talk, and there's a moment of, am I going to be able, successful, am I going to be able to provide, you know? And there's a flash of an eye that might fail. <laughs> you know? And, uh, I don't know, there's a sound or something happens and suddenly it's gone. This doesn't exist anymore. It's just a lump of earth pressing. You know, in that particular view of is there a Pascal that is going to succeed or fail, showed its, its flickering nature. I'm so happy I know that it's flickering. Because otherwise I, I would be totally stuck with that problem, you know, of Pascal. But when I see the flickering nature of this, I'm freed. When it appears in time, if I see the appearance and disappearance many times, when it appears and grabs me, I'll be able to bring the neutrality of the equanimous mind. Oh yeah, of course, that uh, appearance, that mirage, that the only thing that counts is that Pascal survives the talk. You know, it's very convincing very three-dimensional, heart-beating, dense, I don't know how we would call it, you know. And absolutely mirage-like, bubble-like. And so I can actually relax. It doesn't have to destroy my day or remove uh, anything. It can just be there. Actually, still amazed at that. Look at that. That sudden, like, would I be able to you know, be up to, you know, I don't know, a doorway to care. I actually don't need something else. This is plenty. Just this is a beautiful opening to compassion. Oh, human beings, that happens to them. You know, they're gripped by sudden doubt. Oh, so touching like a little less caught, duped, fooled by, awake to that ephemeral production, generation of the mind. And so I don't get cynical, I don't have to battle, no, you'll be able, you've done it before, why are you reacting like this? It's not your first Dharma talk. I don't have to go in all this. I can just see the arising, honor it, momentary arising, of density, of hollowness, or electricity, or heat, or contraction, impression, being in danger, you know, care, 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 gone. And so as we pay attention, we'll notice the different views 
perception that appear disappear. Equanimity, highest quality, I think, in Buddhist psychology, closest to uh, awakening, sometimes it's described like this, doesn't happen on a vacu- in a vacuum. It doesn't, it's not the result of will. I'm going to be equanimous now. <laughs> so we're learning that things are conditional. Huh? They don't just appear because I want or wish they were there. Or they appear when the conditions are right. You know, some conditions we have control over, some not. Equanimity, uh, that, that uh, stability of mind, the stability of care, or what's the Taratulku Rinpoche's saying? Equally near to all things is a, is the result of a deep, deep vipassana insight, a deep embodied, intuited, uh, penetrating understanding of the ephemeral nature of reality. The more will be in, uh, intimate closely aware, related to the ephemerality of experience and its conditioned nature, that it takes conditions for things to be as they are, and when the conditions are removed, the things go away. When we deeply understand this, the result is more and more equanimity. I'm not, I'm not going to freak out. I know it's going to pass by. I'm not going to hate it because I know if it appears because the conditions were right for it to appear. All the conditions are right for whatever is happening to be there. And the wisdom for us is to go and look, how can I actually play on the conditions? Which one do I have a, can I have an impact on? Or how can I contribute to the new to new conditions? And which one are out of my control? Yeah. And so seeing the flowers, recognizing that they're gonna pass, doesn't lead in this case to distress. Oh my god, they're gonna pass. No, because there's a deep recognition, ephemeral, ephemeral. They are going to pass. It's not easy, this stuff. But it is absolutely possible to come close, very, very close. Close, not just close uh, through the sight and sound, but inside to the ephemeral nature of experience. And when we touch, and that might be the door that opens to another door, um, that might reveal also the... um, another aspect of reality that is so intriguing. So when we come close to events and we see that that they disappear, have disappeared, or understand that they will, incite parenthesis. That's dangerous for me because then often I don't find where I was going after. <laughs> after. <laughs> That's the nature of ephemerality. But insight is often inferential 
It means that when we have a quality encounter with an event that we see the ephemerality of that event, it could easily spread out to all events, the understanding. As in this beautiful poem that I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, from the nun at the time of the Buddha that we find in this collection of uh, the nun's poem, is it the Teragata? And so she describes something like this all day. Sit, walk, sit, walk. No understanding gained. All day, I keep going. I sit, and then I walk back and forth. I sit, I walk back and forth. No clarity gained. At night, blowing the candle, it was understood. Everything is ephemeral by blowing the candle with such delicate presence inside the rose that was inferential. It's not just the candle, the, the flame that will blow out or pass. It's everything. And so here we, we're putting ourselves in the, in the candle blowing uh, mood. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> we're quieting the mind, we're making it stable and stay. And of course, it's done in a very messy way. But everything that happens in the heart and in the situations between us and this and that. But still, we are calming the mind so that we can be touched with the sudden appearance of a doe. Realizing this is ephemeral. So that was a parenthesis about the inferential nature of insight. And I was going towards another of the characteristics that is uh, revealed. So we went from the specific characteristics, like that taste of uh, fennel. Not just like, I love fennel, you know, but that taste. Somebody at another retreat wrote a little haiku. I won't be able to tell you exactly. It was um, it was dates. I don't like dates. Tasting. Oh my God! All the delightful dates that I missed in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so we get very specific. It's not generic. I don't like dates. It's this one, oh, true, I don't like dates. <laughs> or, oh, actually, it's different than the idea I made about dates 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, let's have a fresher version of that reality. And so, uh, so these are specific things, but the common characteristic of all events is the ephemerality. And in the teaching, the Buddha's instructions are like this. See the appearance, see the disappearance of sounds, emotions, feeling tones, uh, ideas, thoughts, memories. Try something. Taste. Taste. Life. Life. <laughs> so the Buddha says, pay attention specifically to the appearing nature and disappearing nature of this. See the presence of this. Notice its absence. 
Yeah, it was there. Often we don't notice the absence. We're just grabbing the new, the new thing to grab on that I like or don't like. But here we slow down enough to see things appear and disappear. Noticing the appearing and disappearing nature of things, we might be touched in a very particular way also. That uh, things, events, phenomena, inner, outer, of the past, of the future, subtle, gross, can't actually be absolutely mine or me. They can't because they're conditional. They belong much more maybe to conditions than they belong to moi. I had made a little mistake here in view. I thought this was mine when actually this was there. I thought this was mine. This was me. This was in me. I was in it. But maybe it's not absolutely true. Totally, only that true. So at this point, there's always this same memory that comes to me very clearly. I I bring this uh, up uh, almost every time because I can't avoid it. I can't go around it. One day I was at the doctor's office and the doctor says, your health is gone. There's no more health. There's no more immune system. It's uh, zero. That's the result of immune system gone. It was such a, I think, insight. It took me time to process it. But it was such an insight. I had taken something to be me, mine, or in me, all all of these versions. And somebody was telling me, hey, you made a little mistake. It was not yours. It was there. It was precious. But now conditions have changed. It belonged to the conditions. It belonged to nature, we could say. And now it's not there. Health. Youth. Uh, Mental well-being. Gone. Uh, Whatever we could name. The other that I thought was mine. or This thing that I thought was mine. Memory. Gone. And so here I think we actually come really close to events to see them pass, to see that they don't actually belong to us exactly. And we're actually, um, uh, we're we're preparing ourselves. I think it's the right way to to say it, partly. We're preparing ourselves so we don't have the shock when things go. We'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I was acquainted with this, I was aware of this. I knew this was uh, unstable, fragile, uh, unreliable. I knew that. It's not an easy thing to encounter. And so here I'm not saying that we don't exist, that uh, it's not what I'm, uh, I'm saying. I'm saying everything counts a lot. But in an absolute way, in a relative way, yeah, 
it's uh, my memory. But in an absolute way, I also understand that it's not exactly like that. And I like that uh, the mind of the practitioner, uh, with its um, the development of flexibility, of pliability of mind, of uh, s- the capacity to um, admit, uh, allow nuances and even paradoxes is uh, is a really subtle, very has a particular kind of intelligence mind that can allow things to be both. I'm fully here. This is Pascal, and none of this is exactly moi or mine. <laughs> wow. And so, I I do see it flickering as I sit here. You know. You know, as I was sitting here just before the talk, as I was saying, suddenly there was a moi thing. You know, it's me sitting here. And, and the next moment there was this smile. Why do you smile? But because the ephemeral nature of that, that thing that seems so convincing, it's also very clear that there's earth here sitting, there's air movement, there's life. It doesn't belong to a certain moi. It belongs to itself. I, d- I don't know. I try to put words on it, you know. And so, this allows for a certain fluidity, you know, uh, instead of a rigidity that comes with fear, feeling separated, fear of what will happen, fear of what I'm worth. All this can relax a little bit and become a little bit more fluid. And sometimes it's not fluid at all. Regularly, in uh, every day, I've got a f- number of moments where there's no fluidity at all. It's just very rigid and nothing painful. But here, we create the conditions so that we can see a little bit further away. To use uh, uh, Roxanne's image of the vast view of the ocean and the One way to, to put this in words, in a, in a little form, and I'll finish with this, is um, apparently when we're born, uh, we don't differentiate me and parent. Or Do you see a little bit what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're there, and, it's, and slowly we learn. Pascal's nose... And, like, no, this is Mama's nose. Pascal's nose is here. <laughs> and you know, this is not your tie. You know, this is uh, Linda's Tonka truck. You know, no, mine. No, Linda, Linda. And so we learn to differentiate like this. So we go from pre-egoic to egoic and we want to form a really good ego and uh, it's not a success (laughs) (laughs) 
it can't be. It's it's, it's an amazing challenge. But uh, you know, we get it more or less together. You know, and so we know we have boundaries. We can take ownership of things and respect others' belongings, and so. And we enter that stage in life, and hopefully, you know, we can make it more refined and more clear the delimitations and all this and and have a, a, a good uh, representation of self like create a symbol of self like an imagery of self that is uh, you know um, lovable you know instead of creating a, a, rep- a symbol a representation of something that is worthy of being hated you know? and it's not easy depending on gender gender expression sexual orientation parenting Millions of conditions, difficult. But we go from pre-egoic egoic, to egoic, and then we come to a retreat. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the retreat we say, yes, it's your emotions, but they are also of the public domain. Mm-hmm. You know, fear is not only yours. It ha- happens in the universe. You know? The tingling... Yeah, it's your fingers, and in a way we can say this, but tingling is not yours, honey. You know, tingling belongs to nature. So does memory, health, youth, ideas, etc. And we come here and we clarify this for ourselves. We see how it appears. Heat, heat, I'm so hot, I'm so hot. Oh, heat belongs to nature. When the conditions are right, it's hot, you know. And uh, you know, mistake in uh, mistake in uh, in behavior or speech happens to human being, you know? and so we learn to recognize and not like define ourselves by oh cruelty happened in your mind like oh I wish you pay for having taken the last green tray, <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that kind of maybe crosses your mind. You don't have to define yourself by it. It's not a description of you. It's a description of what happens in the universe. But here, we're not so interested in mine, not mine. We're interested in uh, consciousness, being conscious of what appears and taking good care of it, nurturing some of the arising and uh, allowing some of the arising to not be uh, followed, acted on. And so it's not so much that it is, if it's mine or not mine, it's, is it something that is worthy of being uh, uh, celebrated, nurtured, or let go of, or you know, accompanied with uh, care, compassion? Okay. So that's the form that uh, this uh, talk took tonight. It belongs to the conditions. <laughs> and if I said something wrong, I'm willing to take responsibility in a way that I uh, hope I uh, wouldn't uh, you know, start hating myself. Or same thing with pride. You know. Let's sit for just a few moments here and check out the scenery.
there is a body sitting here, breathing. And there is a knowing happening. Might tend to uh, define it as me, aware, perceive it like this. Maybe if I become quiet, I'll notice that, uh, I might notice that awareness as it's uh, a life of its own, is aware. Knowing is knowing. And hearing is hearing. Naturally, spontaneously. If there is grumpiness in there, it's, it's grumping. And if there is friendliness in there, it's befriending. Wisdom grow in these uh, human nature, and may wisdom itself lead the way, speech and action and thoughts. Thank you for your uh, consideration. So a little uh, mindful pause. Um, and we'll be back here for the last sit this evening. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.